Hi, I'm Kyle. And I'm Trevor. And welcome to Catching Up on Cinema. If you aren't familiar with the program, Catching Up on Cinema is a film analysis podcast wherein myself and Kyle take turns introducing each other to films, and in this way, we catch up on our cinema. So, Kyle, it is our 100th episode Mm -hmm. of the podcast, so... I don't know how to go from here, but, you know, I think it's time for some guitars and Cadillacs, motherfucker. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, y'all know what I'm talking about. We're going to be talking about T2, Judgment Day. Yeah, we had to to take a break from my unconventional horror uh, to to pick a 100th episode. And we actually took, we actually put a poll up on, uh, was it the Twitter that you put a poll up on there? Yes, it was the Twitters. And all, uh, however many fans decided that T2 would have been the best one to do. Uh, I was really hoping we'd get to do Blade 2, but it's all right. We'll, we'll get to Blade eventually. Well, I mean, T2, it's it's often regarded as like a pure action film and whatnot, but it yeah. also touches on many other genres. It has quite a bit of sci-fi elements, and in some ways it is a little bit of a horror film. Like it, I mean, the whole concept of a pursuer uh, present throughout the entirety of the story, it definitely has a little bit of horror elements to it, but... Um, yeah, this is this is not really a Kyle's Killer October pick. This is, no. this kind of snuck up on both of us. Um, this ended up being our 100th episode, and uh, we kind of conferenced about, it and it was like, you know, we really ought to just like pick something awesome, just yeah. something that the both of us have a mutual appreciation for. You know, not something difficult, not something that requires a whole lot of research or like heavy thought put into it. It's like, no, let's let's treat ourselves and just. Talk about the movie that we probably should have talked about from, like, day one. Yeah. <laughs> because, uh, as my brother has been quick to point out, um, we find a way to reference Terminator 2 in, in so many of our episodes. It's like, we may as well spotlight it. That and Wayne's World. Uh, I think we're eventually going to just have to talk about... Not- not talk about the movies at length, but just like just mention why uh, Wayne's World One is uh, important to American culture. Yeah, no, I mean it's it's funny because Wayne's World and Terminator Two came out basically the like, same the year. Same year. Yeah, and uh, it just so happens that both of them are just like cultural touchstones. That they really are. Uh, for people of our age range, it just seems like Wayne's World is one of the single most quotable comedies of its time. Um, and it's, Terminator 2 is like one of the most readily identifiable and well-known movies of its time. What's weird is the, the, the things that make it so quotable in pop culture aren't even what make it good. And I think the nerds who really like the movie, we can find all kinds of quotes in here to use that normal people wouldn't understand. Like, what is that from? Like, oh, it's from Terminator 2. <laughs> yeah, and I think it's fitting, too, that Wayne's World directly references Terminator 2 within it. A good friend of mine... Robert Patrick has that cameo. Have you seen this boy? <laughs> uh, a good friend of mine, he, this is his favorite movie of all time. And we, he and I quote it pretty much every time we see each other still. Like, it's it's just part of our vernacular. And one day, I uh, I got a new f- uh, phone number, and I text him, like, Hey, man, this is my new phone number. And he's like, Who's this? I'm like, This is Kyle. And he's like, Prove to me that you're Kyle. And I go, Your foster parents are dead. And he's like, All right. <laughs> <laughs> That's beautiful. Well, yeah. I mean, that such is the power of T two. Mm-hmm. Like, if if you're a person of a certain age range and you have any interest in action cinema and or like mainstream American cinema, you know T two. You're that, or you're living under a rock. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, Terminator two uh, came out in what 1991. Mm-hmm. It was of course. 
directed by James Cameron. Yes. Uh, it is a direct sequel to the original The Terminator that came out in 1984. Um, and I think it's interesting that James Cameron has these these two Titan Titanic sequels, <laughs> Titanic, um, under his belt. I mean, he has Aliens, which came out, what, seven years after the original film? I think so. Six or seven, yeah. Yeah, it, 1979 to 1986. Like, mm-hmm. a whole seven years. Like, that that just shows you what the general climate was uh, in regards to, like, a sci-fi horror film of the day. It's like, no, there's no guarantee you're going to get a sequel. And seven years later, you'll get a totally different film. Those two movies, it depends on which one's my favorite, just on my mood. I'm like, yeah, the first one's my favorite. And then some days it's like, no, nah, that second one's my favorite. It's really tough to say sometimes. For me personally, I, I know you have that, that ongoing debate with yourself. Um, and most times I talk to you, it seems like the first one yeah. is edging out the second. Um, yeah. For me, Forever, Aliens is going to be my favorite. A lot of that had to do with it being the first one I saw. Mm. Um, and oddly enough, I have the same problem with the Terminator films. Um, oh, really? I, I, I will go on the record. I don't really like the first one. I'm not surprised. I mean, it, it definitely feels its age. Um, much more so than Terminator 2, which still looks immensely polished to this day. But t- 1984, six million dollar budget. Um, it's got some sore spots, and it's a very, very different film from Terminator 2. Well, I, for me, it comes down to almost entirely the score, the 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 soundtrack of the film, like what's happening, because it's a, like an electronic. You still have. I, I think that Terminator 2 has probably one of the best scores, just like the, the, the noise throughout the film is almost perfect. Yeah, um, Brad Fidel uh, did the scores for both uh, the first two films. Um, he's one of those underrated composers. That if you look at his, his discography, he, he doesn't have that many credits, um, but holy shit, his contribution to the soundscape of Hollywood filmmaking is incredible. The Terminator theme, the... Mm-hmm. that's all you need like, yeah. <laughs> like everybody that has any familiarity with the Terminator franchise knows that tune and gets hype when they hear it um, but yeah he I think himself described his scores for both films not just the first one but both films as being uh, almost like window dressing like mm-hmm. his objective was to contribute like a, just like a canvas for which the visual element and like the editing and the acting performances could lay upon so he's never trying to overpower the film with his score, which is admirable, because some composers have a bad habit of trying to do that. We should just keep going with the score while we're like while, while we're already into it. Let's just continue with the score. Let's just let it happen, because th- if you want, unless you want to, unless you want to circle back. No, no, let's let's go into it, because um, folks at home, um, hundred episodes in, hopefully you've been following along, but. I, Kyle and I have this this thing between the two of us when it comes to our, our appreciation of films where uh, music is something that I always zero in on. Like, it's something I can't not notice, whereas Kyle has an equal eye for detail uh, in his viewings of films. Like, he has the same analytical tools that I do, but for whatever reason, uh, music is not one of the things that grabs his attention uh, to the same level that does me and i'm a musician (laughs) and you're a musician which i think is very curious but um one thing that really needs to be said and this is why i'm talking at length about this is a terminator 2 is a score that kyle has always since as long as i've known him referenced as as one that he knows as one that like the music of the film is known to him and very important 
every step, like every step, you there are certain noises that I know exactly what's happening in the film. Um, there's one when Arnold, like when Arnold first comes into frame, and there's that almost sounds like saxophone. It never happens again in the film, and it's like a I don't know. It was very strange. Uh, but I wanted to key in on one particular thing is that the score changes sometimes it's like a like a symphony like an or orchestra like on like on our chase scenes but then it comes to, to just that like a uh, blade runner 2049 like pulsing where it's just kind of creating tension or like creating like ooh, this is ominous but do you did you catch the the it only happens in in this one scene when John is being chased by the T-1000 and the T-1000 goes underneath the the bridge and it knocks the top of the uh it knocks the top of the uh the truck off and he pops up real quick and he goes Shoom! <laughs> I was watching it again I'm like holy shit that was so cool um, I like I was watching I'm like I've seen this movie a dozen times and I got I got like the the chills down the spine I'm like oh that was fucking great yeah um, yeah the, the score for this film is it's interesting because it, it does it does kind of take a backseat to the rest of the film in a lot of ways but it has a way of ramping up that really grabs you like just like it gets your pulse pounding and a lot of it has to do with like um really subtle layering of like the instrumentation because the t1000's theme is utterly iconic i think mm -hmm. it's one of the strongest ones that you've mentioned to me is that like you know you know that by heart mm -hmm. um it's just that it's almost like a groan it's just like oh, oh yeah. it's so simple it's so elemental it's it's like prehistoric kind of shit where it's mm -hmm. just like oh you hear that dark noise in the forest you run away but um, he does this thing where that that tune will be playing um, over the T-1000's introduction to a scene, and then every sequence where the T-1000 gives chase inevitably ramps up, where, where, and the, where, where? the instrumentation follows suit, where as the chase gets more and more intense, like more instruments start coming in, and the tempo starts speeding up, but that same core beat is still there, and it's it's really effective stuff. And, and it never it never robs your attention like it, it never draws you away from the awesomeness that's happening on the screen yeah i think that this i love blade runner 2049 but i think this might be like the best like just from 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 end to end from beginning to end i think it the, the score serves it per like perfectly throughout the film yeah it's kind of amazing because it's, it's very minimalist in some ways mm -hmm. um in some ways like the instrumentation in my mind anyway does come across as slightly chintzy mm. like because it is almost entirely synthesized as far as i know um but it just it just works man <laughs> like, it does um and it i think it's really interesting because uh the style of music like the way it's produced uh it fits the aesthetic of the film where it, uh, the word that comes to mind is clean because mm. the aesthetic of the film, the way it looks, it, like that's the number one word that comes to mind. Because as compared to the first film in particular, that is a gritty, gritty fucking yeah, film. It's it gritty. is gritty. It is grungy, it is gritty, and the synthesizer uh, follows suit, where it sounds kind of shit. But mm -hmm. it works, because the, mo the movie looks like someone took a shit on the film stock. <laughs> but it <Yeah>. works. <laughs> and it certainly works in Terminator 2. Uh, do you have like a moment of like the music that if you if you were to hear it in the in like another room like you know exactly what's happening in the film? Um, 
I mean, I can I can name almost any uh, yeah. musical moment. Like honestly, the, I could just listen to the score for the film and play back the whole movie. I could too. Uh, I wish we I wish we could like isolate clips and just play them uh, at each other to see if you know exactly what's happening. What, now, yeah, what's man. happening. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, I wanted. Oh, I would say uh, before we go into like the the rest of the details, do you want to talk about the history your history with this? Because mine is uh, mine's fun. I, I'm excited to talk about mine. Okay. Yeah. Absolutely. We'll we'll do this the same way we've been doing all those Batman films. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, my personal history with Terminator Two um, is that uh, it I have three R-rated films um, that I think of as being my first R-rated films because mm-hmm. I was so young to the point that all the memories are like all my wires are crossed. So I don't know which one was actually first. I think it was Terminator Two. Mine was too. That, that was my very first R-rated film. Um, as well as Aliens, also another James Cameron film. Um, that one, I know for certain, um, my brother was babysitting me, and he he let me watch our bootleg VHS of it. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I <laughs> had a that, bootleg VHS too. <laughs> and it, uh, it freaked me out pretty good, but also that like crystallized Aliens as being like one of the single most important films I would ever see in my entire life, so thanks for that, Matt. Um, and then the other one, I think we were staying in like a motel in like Cannon Beach or something and we watched Under Siege 2 oh really (laughs) it was like I think it was like a VHS rental like yeah at the motel so like when you check out your room you can like get a tape and I think my dad got Under Siege 2 and somehow my mom let me watch that piece of shit and again forevermore because of when I saw it in my life I love trains I love people getting shot (laughs) <laughs> and well, that movie's special to me, even though it's kind of a lesser Steven Seagal movie. In that movie's defense, compared to what Steven Seagal does now and what he did in the aughts, that movie is 12 Angry Men compared to what he does now. <laughs> <laughs> we, should, we should put that on the next uh, reissue of the Blu-ray for that movie, the, just in quotes. The 12 Angry Men of Seagal films. Yeah. It, <laughs> <laughs> that movie is fantastic compared to what he's doing now. Um, but yeah, uh, long story short, uh, we had a official, like an actual retail uh, VHS copy of Terminator 2 mm. uh, with the slip cover and everything. Um, it had a, uh, a commercial for the film itself preceding the film. Oh, nice. Um, and I, I'll never forget the wood paneling on the wall of the, you know, the typical white suburbanite family watching the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a part where a CGI T-1000 head lurches out of the TV and they go, whoa. Whoa. And then, <laughs> and then the kid, uh, like, he does a hammer fist in his palm and he says, all right, Arnold. <laughs> <laughs> it's so fucking bad. And I think there was also a trailer for uh, Rambo 3 on the mm. front of it on the front end of it and uh funny enough they used uh the conan theme uh for the trailer for mm. rambo 3 so i'm sure sly was absolutely elated uh, to find that out <laughs> that they used arnold's music to hype his movie um but yeah terminator 2 being the probably the first r-rated movie i ever saw and of course you know in the early 90s arnold schwarzenegger being the pop cultural like phenomenon that he was especially for all ages at that point that's a very important historical anecdote it was michael jordan and arnold schwarzenegger they were the two biggest two biggest things in american culture well it was arnold and the three mics there was jackson tyson jordan. yeah you're right you're right <laughs> but um but yeah i uh, can't can't be emphasized enough this movie was a huge deal um it was one of those movies that was such a big deal when it came out that 
even even when I wasn't allowed to watch it, I knew about it, and I I was super hyped about it, even mm-hmm. though it was so many years removed from ever getting to watch it. So, um, yeah, that's my story. But how about yours, Kyle? So we had this is also the first R-rated movie I I ever watched. Um, the we had a also bootleg on VHS. Uh, we our parents would take advantage of those free HBO weekends, so. We had a tape that had Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, and then after it immediately was Terminator 2, which as a kid was one of my favorite double features. Like if we're going to be doing a, a, a grindhouse double feature, let's, like, let's go Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, a lot of fun, and then go into Terminator 2. So at the end of Prince of Thieves, you have a Brian Adams song that uh, has a music video. So the music video will play after the movie, so that would be the time that my brother and I were like, all right, let's get some different toys to have with us, let's get a drink of water, what's going to happen? And then right at the end of the song, before Brian Adams was done singing, he's like, I do it for... And it just goes straight into the, the opening credits of Terminator 2. Um, so I, was, I don't know what it was. As soon as it hit, it was just so exciting. I'm like, oh, this is going to be great. Um, and then the... Is this the... Is this the greatest opening sequence of uh, film history? The uh, the machines. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty much up there. <laughs> um, actually, I would argue uh, this is the greatest opening forty minutes of a film. Um, oh maybe yeah, in I think you're right. Uh, the first forty minutes of this film are incredible. Try to look uh, away. Yeah, good yeah, fucking. Try way. to look away. Honestly, it's it's so smoothly edited and so much cool shit happens that it's like. If you're not hooked by 40 minutes in, like I don't, I don't know what I got to do to keep you here. <laughs> Honestly, Linda Hamilton at Pescadero at the mental institution, it it goes on a little bit long. Like there's a few instances like we didn't need to see her freaking out the week before. I don't know. It 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 serves its purpose, but as I go to rewatch, I kind of tune out during those sequences personally. Um, my actual uh, problems with the pacing, and there are very few. Uh, mm. This is this is very close to a perfect movie, honestly. Um, the kind of middle chunk of it, like basically when we get to Mexico, yeah. is a is a little flimsy. Um, but when you th- when you really think about it, when you when you put your thinking cap on, it's like there's a reason they're giving you this breather because you don't get any once we get to Cyberdyne. No, <laughs> like you get none. <laughs> so, so take your deep breath in the middle because you're not gonna get another chance to breathe. Oh no! As soon as John and the T T eight hundred leave Mexico, it's on. Like it's yeah. we're yeah, going. As soon as we leave Mexico, the movie is like, um, Kyle. I I have had this movie on in the background all week. <laughs> Just like I don't think I've actually sat down to watch it because I have it memorized basically. But yeah. I've just had I've just immersed myself in the sound and the flavor of it and uh at one point I was like, you know, this disc has a director's commentary. I should check that out. Oh, and, really? And I did. And uh James Cameron describes uh like the second half of the movie as just like it's inertia basically. <laughs> it's just like, well, everything's just barreling ahead now. There's no stopping it. <laughs> it's like he described the story as just like taking on a life of its own past the midway point where it's just like oh hold on it's gonna it, get loud <laughs> it was brilliant um but yeah that was my history the uh, along the same lines first rated r movie it was just a fun one to go to um actually I, i'll go ahead and mention that there was one scene in the sequence so i was raised in a pretty strict religious home uh so judgment day came up a lot in church as one of the scariest things possible uh that's when the god was going to destroy the earth by fire uh after he raptured all the good christians up 
So there's a scene where the nuke the nuke goes off and it's in a dream and it is one of the we can talk about the, the like the practical effects on its own and this would be included. Um, it's it is brutal to see as a kid and I thought it was God destroying the earth. So I even now when I was rewatching it uh, the other day, I had to fast forward through that part. I'm like I can't I can't rewatch it. I don't know why it still makes me uncomfortable. It's a it's a very very well constructed sequence um i know you in particular have a strong appreciation for like dream sequences done well mm-hmm. um before we started recording we were talking about uh, dr sleep mm. um and how there's a dream sequence about like midway point of the movie yeah um where rose the hat i think is the character's name uh dives into one of our protagonists uh like con- subconsciousness and the visual element the way the sequence is portrayed on the screen is pitch perfect like yeah. it feels like it's ripped straight from your own imagination superb um and yeah the the dream sequence here with with uh judgment day happening and sarah connor bearing witness to it this this horrible calamity that she's been aware of for several years at this point that it's like her number one priority in protecting her son from um she gets to watch like a what if version of herself like living happily with her baby boy um, and then the nukes fall, and uh, the whole time, what really amps up the drama and the emotional weight of it is that she's like banging on the fence. Uh, she's separated from a playground, and she's hiding behind a, a like a fence, a chain link fence, and uh, nobody can hear her. Hmm. And it's it's completely emblematic of like her her own life's journey, where she's just the she's the one person who knows about this horrible thing that's coming, and. She's been screaming at the top of her lungs, um, inside anyway, about, you gotta watch out, it's gonna come, and sure enough, right in front of her face, she gets to see it come to fruition, and, uh, yeah, that, uh, the editing of the flesh being blown off her skin, um, the the sound and the image cut out at exactly the right frame, like, Mm -hmm. the timing of that cut is perfect, where you get just enough, and then she wakes up, and it's like, fuck that was intense that was fucking brutal <laughs> and yeah first r-rated movie <laughs> and yeah. that's the kind of shit you get in in what's yeah. supposed to be an all right arnold action yeah. movie our parents were just concerned with the sex scenes they're like you can watch i mean you can watch Pre- close your eyes for the sex scene boys but you can watch the rest of predator too You're like jesus uh they picked they picked a hell of a movie to introduce sex to you jesus how was that not nc-17 i don't get it <laughs> they wrote, that one really slipped through the cracks man uh, uh do you want to talk about the performances yeah absolutely um you want to start with arnie and work downward or what yeah uh i honestly like wa- watching terminator i like him as a bad guy i liked him as the bad terminator in that first one um he's still good in this but I remember reading that uh, Arnold, at least for the first movie, I'm not sure if he did it for the second movie, uh, but he practiced at the range, at the gun range, just like mechanically and robotically going through and loading a gun, shooting it. Um, and apparently he practiced doing the his his signature, like uh, flipping the shotgun around to load it, which is really awesome. And I always wanted a toy gun that had that so I could try to do that. Yeah, um, I, I, had a, I had a pop rifle that had a lever action to it. Um, it just had a spring that would make a noise, and you know, I you you know I did that yeah. <laughs> for sure. 
Um, the only problem I have throughout the movie is when he actually breaks, he breaks character a few times. Yes. Uh, it's, it's very subtle in a few places, but there's one where it's like, that was, that's a different person is when he's like, no, John, go. It's like at the end of the movie, I'm like, dude, that is not okay. <laughs> you cannot do that. Uh, I mean, you could, you could stretch that a little bit and say mm. that, um, it served a utilitarian purpose of signa- signaling to his his boss essentially the urgency of the situation. I suppose. Where it's a human. Yeah, you know, I mean, he has a, a learning computer. Like that is it, true. You know, and I I didn't have a problem with that. Um, in fact, I don't have I don't have a single issue with his performance. But <laughs> if we're talking about breaking character, remote control. Click. click. Yes, <laughs> click is the other one. I'm like, where did you learn that one? The thing is, if you're gonna have him like the smiling when he like tries to teach him how to smile, which is not in the uh, in the cut that I watch, but I know it does exist, so it makes sense that he would kind of grin every once in a while. So yeah, he's he's learned how to smile. But yeah, the clicking, I'm like, I need a scene where he tells him that that's a thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's a small thing, but I I think that's hilarious. It it belongs in the movie. And the movie does have self-aware moments. I mean, the bad to the bone, mm-hmm. the James Thurgood and the Destroyers. Um, him, that, that, him, that is a self-aware moment where the movie is winking at you hard. His, some of his deliveries are really, really funny. Like the him taking the shotgun from the guy. I I started laughing so hard. I forgot how funny that was. <laughs> it's just one fucking movement. <laughs> it's so good. Um, him, I think the. Uh, the your foster parents are dead. It's not funny, but I just I love that delivery where he just he just goes right into it. Well, the same scene. One of my favorite bits of physical comedy from Arnold in in maybe his whole career is put the gun down now. He and he, he like he does a full squat. He sets the gun down gingerly and stands straight back up. He stand he on like such a dork. I know. He, like where he's like stand on one foot and he's standing there and the two guys come up and he like shoots his head over and he's having he's having a conversation for a little while and his leg is still up. Put your leg down. <laughs> so uh, fucking it's, funny. It's brilliant. Uh, um, but I think one of the most important things to note about this this movie for Ar- Arnie's career uh, was that uh, the timing of it was perfect. I mean, at this point in his career, Conan had come and gone. Mm. Um, he'd done two Conan movies consecutively, the first Terminator immediately after, um, and then he just was doing the R-rated action movies like mm-hmm. from there on out for several years after. Um, Predator was 87, so that's three years later. Running Man was the same year. But then Twins came out oh, in yeah. 1988. And that kind of, you know, aside from like Pumping Iron, which was like a whole decade earlier... Uh, that kind of showed audiences that oh hey like they still found a way to have him punch people in that movie but it's not an action role it's it's mostly a comedic role when did total recall come out 1990 okay and then kindergarten cop the same year and then terminator 2 judgment day so you have kindergarten cop terminator 2 judgment day and in the meantime he's also doing uh George H.W. Bush's uh, American Fitness Program for the like, Youth Fitness Program. Oh, gosh. <laughs> the yeah. Presidential Fitness Challenge or whatever. So this signaled like a huge like sea change in, in the tone of his career, where it's like he's no longer the R-rated action guy. He's for everybody now. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's such a larger-than-life personality that, you know, kids kids love him, especially in the 90s. And, you know, when everybody's wearing sweatpants in the, in the daytime and bright pink like salmon shirts because it was the style at the time lots of fanny packs and big dog was in oh no he and jim carrey were like two of the biggest 
biggest parts of my childhood as far as movies were concerned. Because yeah. as a kid, you could watch his like '80s action movies, and you could also watch like Kindergarten Cop, Last Action Hero, which is probably one of my favorite Arnold movies. It's it's underrated. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not one of my favorites, but I, like I'll say that with the caveat that every time I put it on, I enjoy it mm-hmm. for sure. Um, but I mean, the the thing about Arnold is that just his personality is bigger than any movie he's been in. Like, it's true. Like honestly, he's just he's just a gigantic ball of charisma like Mm -hmm. you put him on the screen and he's immediately compelling um in whatever role you put him in such that when he does movies like raw deal and stuff it shows where it's like oh wait this isn't a schwarzenegger movie like somebody forgot to tailor the script for who they had because like he's a specialized tool you got to build the whole movie around him because you can't just put him on the set anywhere (laughs) Like, like you need to build the whole movie around him I think you and I still have an affinity for uh, Jingle All the Way. Like, I know that that movie gets a bad rep, but I'm like, I still really enjoy watching that movie around the holidays. Phil Hartman, Sinbad, Arnold, they're all great. Yeah, I still enjoy that movie. Um, it, it's not it's not like a classic or anything, but mm. yeah, those three players in particular, uh, Phil Hartman. Phil Hartman, my, yes. My God. Kills like, it. I, I miss that guy, and he is fantastic in that movie. He is but, really but, but Arnold shows up. <laughs> like, he gives it his best, and I do think it's hilarious that like the propensity for writers to throw him uh, J names in in his scripts, mm. Chan, Chami, <laughs> Junior. He says it with a C H. Yeah, yeah, he says it with a C H. So it's like if I was writing a script for Arnold, of course I would put a lot of J names in there just to make me laugh. So back to Arnold's performance in in T two. Um, so at this point in his career, he'd been doing it for over a decade. In fact, I think if you want to get technical about it, he started like two decades earlier. But um, what I think is really remarkable about his performance is how um, he grew so much. Like he he really took this role seriously because his performance is radically different from in the first Terminator. Like in the first Terminator movie, again, $6 million budget, uh, made back so much money. Apparently at the time of filming, he had very little confidence in it. Like, he was talking shit about the production while they were filming it. No kidding. <laughs> yeah, like, somebody asked, like, he, I guess he still had, like, some of his uh, wardrobe on the set of a different film. And they were like, oh, what's that from, Arnold? He's like, ah, just some piece of shit sci-fi film. <laughs> I'm doing it on the weekends. Well, there was nothing like it. So I could kind of see how he'd be like, yeah, it was just some stupid movie. I'm like, yeah, like, the concept itself, I'm like, it's pretty, pretty kind of out there and... I think it was like ahead of its time, really. So I could see how he was like, yeah, I don't really understand it. This seems kind of stupid. Also, the dude was supplementing testosterone. He's been taking steroids. He smokes weed. I could see how he might not be able to follow it also. Well, also, his, his output at the time, he was putting out minimum two movies a year. Mm. Um, so he was a pretty busy guy. Dude, he was but... jacked out of his fucking mind. Like, he was still prime Arnold in that first one. I mean, I, honestly, I don't. I don't even think that's true. Like, like I, I think, like, I think, like, around Conan, he was actually already like starting to shrink a bit. You think? I think he was fucking. Maybe it was the jacket. Maybe they kind of. Maybe they padded him up a little bit. Cause I remember him being enormous in that movie. I mean, he was. That's indisputable. I mean, next to Brian Thompson, who is not a small guy, he's pretty fucking huge. <laughs> but local hero, Brian Thompson, Brian first Thompson. victim of the Terminator. <laughs> he gets credit for that, but. Um, what I wanted to draw attention to, though, is just how much growth he, he made as an actor, because his performance in the first Terminator is very good, but it's it has flaws in it. 
like small things like he he blinks when he shoots a lot um his body language isn't as calculated because in t2 his his posture his movement like the way every movement is very casual and highly coordinated that takes effort Mm -hmm. that's very that's a very conscious thing to bring into your performance whereas in the first terminator he's kind of herky-jerky um he assumes a lot of like action poses and stuff that you know looks dynamic but it doesn't fit the character Mm -hmm. it's like no you're supposed to be clinical you're not supposed to be wasting motion and like you know throwing fancy poses up on camera and stuff but the big thing like you said um was like blinking when he shoots and stuff because like robert patrick who we will get to um he killed that aspect of it he doesn't blink in this fucking movie i was gonna say i can't wait to talk about him (laughs) because his is his performance is awesome um but yeah from a physical standpoint arnold is so coordinated as as the t-800 in this film um and he's he's utterly charming when he needs to be his comedic timing is on point mm-hmm. um we, we were talking before we recorded that there are some unintentionally hilarious moments that i want to say arnold maybe had a hand in in constructing because he's again he just has so much charisma that's like it shouldn't be funny but it fucking is <laughs> if folks out there if you haven't seen him it's fairly recent maybe last year uh he made a video about uh, his protein shake that he has every day. It's very, very funny. Please check it out. Uh, <laughs> the schnapps. <laughs> Just a little. Now, he, I think I've talked to you about this before. He's been saying that for years. I've And Pumping Iron, he talks about how the quickest way to get protein into the muscle after you've worked out. I mean, bodybuilders and uh, exercisers know protein as soon as you get done. You have 30 minutes to get in. He says if you take just a, like a little capful of whiskey of liquor it's supposed to get into the bloodstream immediately and i always wondered i'm like he had he was known for getting into other people's heads like trying to psych them out and i i always wonder i'm like was that just something that he would say so his competitors would do it and it's not actually helpful or is it is it literally like one of his one of his secrets uh that he just does drink a little bit of alcohol with his protein shake i mean it it could be either one because as he said in Pumping Iron about Lou Ferrigno, it's like I can give him the the right advices. Yeah. <laughs> he's like he's like a son to me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, Arnold is incredible in this movie, uh, top to bottom. Like everything about the performance is very calculated. The script is very tailored to his strengths in that he doesn't have to speak too much. Mm-hmm. Um, but when he's left on his own to just give a very physical performance he showed up like he really did care about doing this right and you know this this movie was a hundred million dollar production at the time of like not adjusting for inflation it was the most expensive film produced in its time mm-hmm. um if you're going to show up for a movie it may as well be the most expensive movie of all time <laughs> the st- we'll, we'll get to the stunts but uh the stunt work i th- the chase scene in particular i wanted to talk about but uh, do you want to talk about robert patrick absolutely um so yeah you want to lead us into robert patrick kyle yes uh robert (laughs) patrick i think is i think he's actually giving arguably the best performance in the film because of how can like how consistent he is throughout the film i it was pointed out to me a few years ago that he i mean he practiced it says on imdb that he practiced running without breathing and it i didn't notice it as a kid and i went back to watch it as an adult i'm like oh you can totally see he's not blinking He's not breathing while he's running, and it's awesome. It's it's a really good performance. Uh, and same with you said with the shooting. Like he sits there and shoots in the mall. Like he doesn't blink one time. It's perfect. Yeah. Um, talk about showing up. Um, yeah. So Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, 
he was a full-blown action star by the time this movie came out. He was, again, internationally, utterly, incredibly famous. Robert Patrick, on the other hand, for the highest-budgeted film of its day, basically unknown. Die Hard um, 2 is the only thing that I know of that he did, and he was just the guy who said Sitting Duck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Die Hard 2 was the li- like literally the only thing most people would ever be able to recognize him from. Maybe yeah. he did some soap operas or something, but yeah, Maybe. largely an unknown. Um, and again, you know, if you're going to work on the biggest movie of, of its day, you may as well give it your all, and he absolutely did. Um, his career has been very up and down since, but... Um, this single performance is, you know, sometimes that's all you need to be forever an icon. And yeah, the T-1000 is often listed as one of the single greatest on-screen villains in film history. You know what I'm going to bring up now? Wayne's was World. <laughs> Wayne's World. <laughs> He's in fucking Wayne's World. Isn't that crazy? It was co Okay, so Terminator, Terminator came out, Terminator 2 came out right before. Or like, it must have come out like just a few weeks before. How did they do it? It's 91. How'd they do it? How'd they do it? Uh, it, it was. <laughs> How'd they do it? Um, it it was probably like a case of like um, promotional synergy or something. Like maybe they saw an opportunity to like boost the video sales of T two, and they were like, "Hey, uh, Bobby, you wanna you wanna go hang out with uh, some Canadian guys? No, it's like over in Milwaukee." <laughs> oh, uh, Wayne's World came out in ninety two, so it was the okay. following year. Okay. Uh, but no, like the what's the most recent one? Gen is it Genesis or Dark no, Fate? Is the Dark Fate? One. So no, there has not been a single bad Terminator that's come close to his performance. Like nobody's menacing like him. The dude that is the bad one in the newer one. I'm like, this is the. I couldn't even. Wa- I, I watched half of that movie. I stopped halfway through. I'm like, I can't even finish this. This is the dumbest thing ever. No one's even come close to him. But that's because Robert Patrick looks menacing on his own, and. That's not something that they did with casting with the rest of them. Like, yeah, you can get you can get the performance down. I don't think that people have a problem with that. Like, but you need somebody who looks menacing just on their own. No, and a lot of that comes down to acting performance, um, because especially in this day and age, I mean, we have CGI stunt doubles now. They can stand in for you if, if you have to do like some crazy physical kind of stuff. We can we can take care of that. Um, so what what you need to bring to the table as an actor is is the performance aspect of it is you need to create a character you need to create a presence um and yeah he absolutely does i mean his silhouette is utterly unique because he has those pointed ears that Mm -hmm. i'm sure you know got him some guff in grade school (laughs) Um, but as an actor you know that's that that's a unique quality that you bring to the table um and he has those incredible eyes that uh, the way he moves them is so calculated Mm -hmm. just every movement is very subtle but very discreet where it's like it's very calculated like one of my very favorite things is so early in the movie is when he goes to visit john connor's foster parents um and they hand him the photo and he's that's a nice looking boy which is a weird thing to say but okay (laughs) he is a robot he doesn't exactly know how human interaction works a hundred percent yeah he has he has the basic guidebook but not all the subtleties down but what i'm talking about though is when he's looking down at the photo and they say oh what about the big guy on the bike and then he just looks up at them very like very no. subtly sinister. He's like, no, I wouldn't worry about him at all. <laughs> what, would they open the fucking door? If if a fucking Arnold Schwarzenegger was standing outside my uh, door knocking, I'm like, just don't. We're not here. 
yeah, don't know Arnold what he's doing. in full-on leather biker gear with sunglasses and a shotgun in the back of the motorcycle. Absolutely not. I'm not no, answering the door. I'm not coming to the door. It has a screen door. For fuck's sake, you can see him. Running out the back. Um, I love that first line, though. Are you the legal guardian of John Connor? <laughs> it's like, uh, <laughs> again, robot. <laughs> it's robot. It's very robotic, but it, it's, he's, he is a robot. Just keep that. You have mind. a photograph of John. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, are you from Texas, <laughs> Mister uh, Robot? Um, but yeah, I think when it comes down to Robert Patrick's performance, I think the physicality is what really makes it. Like he really put in the time. He really did his research. Um, I'm sure he did like Peter Weller and like took mime classes or something. Because uh, the thing you said about his uh, his running. Um, I know from doing my own independent research that like he was quoted as having said like by the end of it he felt like he could run through a brick wall because he had the knife arms like down perfect mm-hmm. like the the motion not the literal knife arms yeah. but, like he had he had his form down so perfectly that like he really felt fucking invincible um and he looks it on screen yeah. because he looks like utterly determined but like cold and absolutely ruthless and whenever he's chasing people and they're shooting at him uh the major difference between him and like Arnold is that like Arnold takes damage in the film and it it lasts uh, to a fair extent whereas T-1000 all he needs is to take that one breather and he's right back where he was Mm. Um, and everything about like the determination in his face tells you that and um, yeah the the mall sequence when he unloads that whole whole clip into Arnold um, the camera's just fixed on his face, and he just like he does not blink. Just just stares straight ahead, and he empties that clip so fucking fast. He does. There's a moment at the end when they're fighting uh, that I I wanted to point out where he throws the T T800 Arnold onto like a platform, and he jumps down, and like the way he catches his momentum and gets up is just it's flawless. Like it, it's not like what a human would do, where you like kind of like oh stumble or something like that. Like the way he jumps down is perfect. Yeah, no, there's there's so many subtle aspects of, of things like that in his performance. Just like the way he moves, like when he goes to uh, Miles Dyson's house after everyone's left, mm-hmm. like he's like investigating. Like he has he has a very calculated way of maneuvering through that area. That it it's kind of alien in how he's moving. It doesn't look natural at all, but it fits really really well. Uh, there's something that during that mall sequence, uh, one that dude with the Pepsi. He, why would you walk in? Walk into the bullet. Walk into the bullet. <laughs> like duck, motherfucker. Duck. Uh, pull up your socks. But no, uh, when he throws Arnold through the window and he sees that mannequin, that's silver. Like you don't know. You have no idea what the T1000 is yet. Like you don't know what it looks like. And he gives it like that. Uh, like, what's up with you? <laughs> what is it? I, I didn't really care for it this time. Uh, I kind of wish that he had just, been, like, just because he actually, like, furrows his brow, like, what is that? <laughs> it just, it's, it's a weird reaction. I feel like it would be better if he just looks at it and then just keeps going. It's interesting because, um, watching the film with the commentary, um, James Cameron pointed out that that, that shot is, it's like a bit of whimsy because he, he admits wholeheartedly that it's like, this shot isn't meaningful until after you've seen the film, mm-hmm. um, because at that point in the film, it's like, like pretending that you know the film was released in a vacuum and there were no commercials for it, of which, which was not true at all. Yeah. Um, but um, it, it, based on that point of the film, based on the information we have about that character, we we don't exactly know why why that shot is significant, like what what we're paying reference to, but. 
I happen to like it because it, it um, looking at it from an editor's standpoint, uh, it it works for the flow of that scene very it well. It does. Because Arnold goes out the window, he takes a couple of beats to get up and come back into the into the building, and then we have we we need that little bit of visual information that the T one thousand is back in pursuit of John. Um, and just something about the the way the the tracking shot where it's just like a, a slight pan over and then he steps out of the frame and then I think he heads into the stairwell after John in the parking garage. Let me be clear, I have no problem. I like that shot. It's just the furrowing of the brow. It's it's a, like for the character. I'm like it doesn't make sense that he would furrow his brow to that. Well, let me ask you this, Kyle. Um, mm-hmm. And we'll we'll get back to Robert Patrick's performance. But um, so have you seen the extended edition of this film? I have not. Okay. Um, I have. I both myself and James Cameron himself have seen uh, it <laughs> no, pr- no he prefers the theatrical version oh, okay he, he prefers the original version of the film I think like for DVD sales or something they they issued the extended cut um, but it doesn't have the label of a director's cut because it's, it's not yeah. how he thinks of the film and yeah. I agree um, it's like 15 minutes longer uh, the flow isn't nearly as good um, and the extra bits of information that were given are very little of it feels especially important uh there's maybe one bit that's interesting where john connor has to fight his mom like verbally he has to like talk her down because she's threatening to kill the t-800 mm. um and it's like him showing characteristics of what he'll become which honestly we don't get much of in the film yeah <laughs> um but other than that and you know a couple of neat special effects tricks like you know of course uh, linda hamilton's twin sister yeah uh, doubling for her um during the surgery scene that's that's neat and i understand why you'd want to put it in there just to preserve that effect because i'm sure that took a long time to do um but there's one extra detail um, in the final act of the film that i'm curious what your thoughts on on it are uh, and that would be um after the t-1000 is frozen in liquid nitrogen and blown apart um, after he reassembles himself in the extended cut, uh, he starts malfunctioning. Mm-hmm. Um, he starts taking on the characteristics, like inadvertently, like unconsciously, um, of whatever he's touching at any given moment. So, like when he's walking across uh, a steel, like a metallic floor, his his shoes start taking on the texture of it. When he puts his hand on a like a metal uh, support beam like it has like the caution tape pattern on it the yellow and black and mm-hmm. his hand starts to like a chameleon kind of um and i there's an extra shot that's t- i think it looks terrible where uh we have uh sarah connor uh he's standing in for her he's pretending to be her mm-hmm. um, at the very end of the movie um and not only does the real sarah connor step out from behind him but john also notices that the fake sarah connor's feet are like merged with the with the the floor <laughs> oh. it looks really weird and it's like wow that's that's really apparent like i'm surprised you didn't notice that right away but i'm curious what you think about that as a as an element in the film i don't like it i like that the t-1000 in the theatrical version is all gas no brakes like he doesn't like especially that in part like it doesn't stop him uh i feel like he is he's doing a little bit of mike My- michael myers where he's moving kind of slow when you could just do cash it in get it get it done uh no i like that where she's calling to him and he's about to go up and then you just see the you see the other one come up from behind like oh fuck what's happening now like it's a real good like oh shit what's what's gonna go what's gonna what's happening um (laughs) i think that that's better i don't like that he kind of picks up on i wouldn't like that no um, i i objected pretty strongly to it it's a novel concept um but i love the idea of him just being 
this monster that like mm-hmm. there's no hope in sight for most for up, up until he's dead basically yeah. there's like very little hope that we have a way of getting rid of him um, and I really like that where it's like I don't even know what we have to do now like obviously the big fire pit behind him is is the solution to the problem but I like that he he is consistently booked to appear virtually unstoppable yeah um, it the menace level for the character is it never falters like even when he's put out a commission briefly it, it never feels like he's too far behind which is where the Mexico part of the film is a bit of a problem because he disappears <laughs> for a very long time he does and it's weird that I'm like when I was watching him like how does he get back on track how does he figure out what's going on it's like oh because he goes to Dyson's house and I'm surprised that he wasn't there the whole like kind of lurking the whole time he's like well what's the next logical thing like where would they go I'm like well they're probably going to go destroy the stuff Oh, I was going to mention um, some of the T-1000. Now, he doesn't necessarily have comedic moments, but he does kill a couple people in a very funny way. <laughs> uh, the truck driver who comes up, the the guy with the titular like uh, liquid nitrogen truck, he comes up after the helicopter crash, and he's just like, God damn, are you all right? <laughs> and just, like, stabs the fuck out of him. <laughs> yeah it's it's at that point it's like like you said all gas no brakes um he's he's got to (laughs) go like like you are in my way no words no whimsy just kill (laughs) um but yeah that the t-1000 is an incredible villain um he's unfortunately one of those tricks you can only employ once though um and that's actually one of the biggest problems of the the subsequent terminator films is that they played the greatest card you ever could, and then where do we go from here? Like, how do we make a Terminator that can top that? It's like, well, you probably can't. (laughs) But they keep trying, and it's like, you're just making him look better, you know? You're making that movie from, like, what, 30 years ago now look all the more better, while while yours looks worse. The problem is that they're trying to make more Terminator movies. I'm like, guys, 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 Terminator 2 wasn't the just, like, the best Terminator movie. It's one of the coolest sci-fi action films of all time. So you're not even going to come close to touching it again. So stop it. <laughs> well, yeah, and I mean you you get into like Terminator 3 and it's like, "Okay, what is the gimmick for this for this TX?" It's like, "Okay, it's a female." Okay. okay. What does that do? Um T1000 can be female, you know, <laughs> if he chooses to be. Um and basically it's like, "Okay, we put an endoskeleton covered in liquid metal." It's like, "Well, that's just not as good as liquid metal now is it (laughs) it's like what are we doing here and then like by the time you get to dark fade it's like so he's kind of liquidy and he can split in two (laughs) what are we doing guys he he really just does the same shit just not as well (laughs) so guys james cameron had done the abyss and uh that was such a troubled production and he wanted to do so much that he actually came up with that the alien water noodle thing like that was uh groundbreaking at the time so it makes sense that he would make a movie a few years later where the character would be liquid metal because he's got this cool effect that he can play with that makes sense for him you have to come up with something different (laughs) otherwise you're just doing the same shit and they have yet to do that they have yet to do it in in four movies they have yet to do that it will Um. never be good again (laughs) <laughs> fact it will never be good again i mean it's certainly looking that way but um George. yeah I, t1000 his his bag of tricks is it's it's kind of perfect in that he he does everything you need him to do but no more 
mm-hmm. where it's like he can turn into anyone that he touches. He 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 can form knives and stabbing weapons. Knives and stabbing weapons. Um, and uh, some of the some of the tricks he pulls towards the end of the film, where I really love that. Uh, aside from the little scrap in the mall, which demonstrates that. You know, in a straight-up, like, fist fight, which Terminators don't fist fight. Mm-mm. Like, I like that they just throw each other around. That's oh, no, they're cool. like they're like Sean Bean and fucking uh, and uh, <laughs> Pierce Brosnan at the end of Goldeneye. They are throw-fucking-each-other-to-death. Like, yeah, this <clears throat> is... Um, for, our, uh, for our UK listeners, this is what is called molly-whopping. <laughs> or slobber-knocker, if you will. Um, but, yeah, I, I like that we, in the, the mall scrap we get to see that it's like he might have a physical edge just in terms of raw strength over Arnold. Mm-hmm. Um, and Arnold is very upfront with saying that, you know, T-1000 is better than me. I can't really beat him um, in a straight-up fight. Um, but by the time you get to the end and we once again have them going head-to-head, uh, some of the tricks he, he pulls out, like uh, revolutionary special effects work. Um, ILM, uh, they... They had like reinvented the special effects job title essentially because um, CGI was not really a thing at this point. I think we had a couple of films preceding this where like young Sherlock Holmes is often cited as uh, one of the first like realistic characters put on screen in computer animation. Um, and then I think uh, what was it Search for Spock? Uh, I think it was Search for Spock had a had a, like a Pixar animated uh, like diagram of a planet being uh, born um, that was done in computer animation but in 1991 nobody had seen stuff like this aside from the abyss which like you said james cameron kind of threw himself into in terms of pioneering um and so to like realize all the effects work for the t-1000 like all of his um changing from the mercury man into robert patrick and other people that he would assume the identity of uh, it's it still looks pretty fucking good um it's definitely archaic by today's standards but um just the shot selection and the way they they were very precise in how they lit things uh two of my favorite shots um in the whole movie in terms of like rendering the t-1000 in cgi is a when we're at pescatero uh when he comes through the ceiling of the elevator and we have the the rotating like fluorescent tube light in the background. Um, they made their job way harder doing that, but it ended up being worth it. And then as soon as he comes out of the elevator and he charges at them through the parking garage, and again the fluorescent tubes, uh, he's charging towards the camera, and so the lights are like over his head. Um, just the the light sources and the reflections just look they look great. And again, uh, Robert Patrick has such a unique silhouette that, like, the pointed ears, once once the Mercury Man get, sprouts the ears, it's like, oh, I know who that is. It's Robert Patrick. And then, yeah. then his face comes into the frame. It's like, oh, wow, that looks neat. <laughs> um, do you want to switch gears to uh, Linda Hamilton's performance? Absolutely. Uh, so one of the things is, like, uh, with the, the Marvel movies and all that stuff they're like yeah there's no well-written female leads like it's just not something that's been uh it's not something that's happened and we're those of us that love alien and terminator like uh guys <laughs> linda hamilton is a is a bona fide badass in this movie i think she sets the standard for badassery yeah um it's it's often been said that uh it's so unfortunate that uh action movies have such a stigma in a in like in the Oscars, like in the Academy, mm-hmm. um, like Black Panther being nominated for 
an Academy Award was a really big deal because those kinds of movies uh, are very seldom given their due. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's really amazing about Linda Hamilton's performance in this movie is that it, it's an incredible performance that just happens to be buried under one mm-hmm. of the most incredible action movies of all time. So it's like that that's like the one-two punch of the movie is that not only is it just an incredible action spectacle, it also has a lot of heart. It does. And the complexities of her character and her performance are really, really stunning, actually. Like, she kind of runs away with the movie as soon as she, like, comes yes. to the fore. Um, she's kept, like, I think it was very wise to keep her out of the movie until, like, the halfway point. Um, because as soon as she shows up, like, she's diminutive next to Arnold. But he takes a back seat. Like, he, oh, it's her movie. Yeah, it's yeah it becomes her movie. movie. <laughs> I mean, arguably, it is her movie. Um, yeah, her... The way she switches, I think, like, the, there's a moment where she's, like, has a really emotional breakdown when she's going to kill Dyson. Like, that whole sequence is brute. Like, the whole thing. The wife, Dyson, and her, like, her just having the breakdown. Uh, and then her, like, having the, the one-on-one with John. But also, like, that escape sequence is probably one of my favorite sequences of the movie. It might be my favorite sequence of the movie is her escaping from the mental hospital. It's, it's kind of neat because you could like have half a movie of just that and mm-hmm. it would still be very very entertaining like even if you took the terminator stuff out of it just like a, a lady breaking out of a mental institution yeah. like it was really well done it was very thrilling and she weighs 90 goddamn pounds and she is menacing <laughs> she's terrifying she's, <laughs> like, she, she's terrifying she has a mean face man and it's actually kind of neat like um, watching the lines on her face mm-hmm. um, because even as a kid I was noticing that like to, from scene to scene she looks like a totally different person mm-hmm. <laughs> or like when she's pissed off at you like some lines show up that weren't there before well, <laughs> like she... when when she has her flip out on Dr. Silverman mm-hmm. um, she goes from just looking like an angelic like tiny woman and she just flips the fuck out and her she... lips start curling back <laughs> she flips a fucking switch on <laughs> Also, the like when uh, when we're introduced to her uh, just doing pull ups in her uh, in her cell, the way the casualness of uh, like how casual and crude Doctor Silverman is talking to these people, like these people are assholes. They're like, oh, that's original. Like, yeah, she's fucking crazy. Let's go look at her. I'm like, mental health professionals hopefully are not douchebags like that. <laughs> <laughs> I hope not, but it needs to be said. Um... Like the actor's name is Earl Bowen. I had to look it up because Dr. Silverman is secretly kind of the MVP of maybe the franchise because Linda Hamilton wasn't in the third one, whereas he was. Um, he's he is utterly he's charming, man. <laughs> he's he's such a smarmy asshole, but he does it so beautifully. Like yeah, in the first smarmy. one, in the first one, when he shows up yawning, <laughs> like yeah. like he gets called in uh, to the police station. He's like. <laughs> like he's perfect he knows he knows the character he's playing and uh now that she's institutionalized in the second one he dials it up a few notches and it it's beautiful to watch because like every time he has a chance to be on her side um and we the viewer are given many cues like telling us that we ought to be on her side even though she's fucking terrifying Mm -hmm. um he never he never says the right thing (laughs) we end up hating him so much and I love the noise he makes when he gets his arm broken. Like he, he's, he says, like, zot. He goes, like, zot! <laughs> Dude, when... Uh, so, when she sees the... T- 
she sees the T-800 come into the institution when she's trying to escape. And she has that slow motion, like, falls down and runs back and starts screaming. Um, whenever Arnold comes up and they're, they're trying to restrain her, he the first person he throws up against the window... Silverman's right there next to him, and he just shoots up when he sees him. It's so fucking funny. Um, but her, yeah, her with the syringe, like, she fucks up these dudes uh, with the nightstick. And the, she's got the syringe in his neck. Like, she is terrifying in that moment. Yeah, she has Drano in a syringe in his neck. And uh, the, uh, oof, the guy licking her face. Um, mm-hmm. Like, James Cameron knew what he was doing. He was like, I need to make sure this guy gets fucked fucked up <laughs> because <laughs> we need to t- we need to give the viewer cues that something bad is going to happen to him i wish that was philip seymour hoffman that's a perfect uh hoffman <laughs> dr silverman i'll get right on it and he has like the right body type for it yeah. too because <laughs> yeah that guy's shirt was way too tight <laughs> yeah i think maybe philip seymour hoffman was probably uh just one role away from permanently being typecast as a creep so maybe this was not a good role for him no, but uh, on the commentary is hilarious because uh, James Cameron, every time she hits someone, he just keeps saying real, real, real. Because <laughs> <laughs> apparently, apparently almost all of the action she did, like the physical stuff, like hitting the orderlies, they did it once. Like oh. one time <laughs> because she flipped out on people like for real. <laughs> and uh, apparently uh, picking her restraints and the door, uh, she insisted on doing that for real no like, kidding and she did it <laughs> and i guess there were a lot of complaints about this movie in the uk because i guess there was a problem with people picking locks <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they wanted him to cut that um also the uh, the gas grenades with the swat team apparently uh, the ira stuff was kind of a thing in the oh, in yeah. 1990 and they're like can we not have gas grenades because like <laughs> we do that on the daily and, <laughs> and like our citizens aren't really happy about seeing it represented on film gotcha um but yeah, uh, her beaten ass in the in the mental institution is incredible, and um, I'm glad you brought up the scene when Arnold shows up because um, the slow motion employed in that sequence is really effective. Mm-hmm. Um, because uh, in the extended edition, she has a dream in the mental institution uh, where Michael Bean shows up and uh, just reiterates to her everything that the audience should already know. Um, so it's extraneous stuff, but it's kind of neat seeing Michael Bean. <laughs> um, but um, there's a dream sequence in there in the Institute where she's like having a nightmare. Um, and having two of those scenes robs, robs Arnold's arrival of so much power. Mm-hmm. Um, because, yeah, as soon as the elevator door opens and he steps through and, and the Terminator, that heartbeat, like the metallic heartbeat soundtrack starts playing and everything goes into slow motion it's like her nightmare come true mm. and her reaction we've seen her so strong at this point in the film and then all of a sudden she's just turned into a, a little like a child yeah. <laughs> and she's like slipping on the floor just screaming no and she sells it she sells every fucking frame of this film <laughs> very true uh the alarm system that's in this mental institution go fuck yourself it's like somebody gets out it's like burp, burp, burp fuck you crazy people sleeping like yeah fucking for real you want to make things rough for everyone now goodness you've done literally woke up the loony bin like nobody's going back to sleep oh one other thing i wanted to spotlight in that scene is uh (laughs) the guy that runs into the glass door Mm. (laughs) he screams it's like like, it's whoa 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 buddy slow down 
have you have you gotten to the mop in uh, Archer, the tinnitus? No. Oh no, no. man. So tinnitus starts to become like a. <laughs> it comes. To, it's a running gag in Archer. But they're shooting. He's shooting a shotgun and a handgun in an elevator. All those people have hearing loss. <laughs> like, like John is gonna rup. He's gonna have ruptured eardrums. Well, funny you mention that. Apparently, Linda Hamilton did suffer permanent hearing loss um, as a result of the elevator scene. No uh, shit. She, she I took didn't a know l- that. She took a lunch break and she forgot one of her earplugs, um, oh. and Ar- Arnold popped off that shotgun, and yeah, now she has uh, hearing loss. Yeah, <laughs> she has mop. <laughs> it's a very funny gag in Archer. Um, I'll, uh, the uh, do you want to talk about what's his face ever furlong? I mean, we have to. I, I don't especially want to, but it needs to be said like the silhouette of edward furlong like this hairdo this attitude this vocabulary Mm -hmm. this was 1991 Mm -hmm. like actually uh, coming back to this film and it needs to be said um i think i'd seen terminator one um much more recently than this one Uh, for whatever reason i i haven't seen this one in, in a bit uh, so upon rewatching it like i said the first 40 minutes of this movie i was just like oh my god this is this this, this is, movie. is cinema. <laughs> yeah, this is cinema. Uh, honestly, uh, I I was like say I was like shouting that to my non-existent roommates. <laughs> but um, one thing that really struck me was just uh, how how important this movie is is just like a as a moment in time. It's like wow, I remember when the world looked exactly like this. Like I remember these clothes. I remember these sounds. I, I remember this goddamn vocabulary it's like the hasta la vista baby <laughs> kids no dick i watched my arcade <laughs> but yeah edward furlong apparently he was uh, just recruited by a casting director he was not an actor it was his first role he he gets an end introducing edward furlong in the opening credits um apparently he had to loop slash adr all, mm-hmm. all of his dialogue um his because voice was cracking yeah, because his voice was changing, um, and I guess uh, they eased up on it from time to time. There's there's only like one scene where they completely just let it go. It's uh, when he's under the car, mm-hmm. when he's under the truck with Arnold talking about why you cry. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that was a wise choice because he's meant to sound more open and innocent in that moment. Um, but it is a little bit distracting. He sounds like he's in a recording booth most of the movie. There's a few and, moments, yeah. And yet he still doesn't enunciate very well. Um, when he says piece of cake the first time, piece it's like, it's piece cake. <laughs> it's piece cake. <laughs> and, and there's a couple other lines there where it's just like, what? Like, you mush mouth, kid. Um, but yeah, some people are very critical of his performance, saying it's like really, really bratty. It's like, no, I don't, I don't think he's bratty. I think he's a kid that had a a rough upbringing and is kind of a dick because of it. (laughs) He's in the foster care system. Like, uh, maybe Janelle is okay. She seems like she might be a little nurturing, but she's probably just had it to hear. Um, Todd is a fucking dick. And uh, I forget that actor's name. He's really good at playing Xander Berkeley? Xander Berkeley, yeah. Uh, his, his, I thought you told that kid you were that fucking mutt. (laughs) That is so... Kyle, you want to share his best quote? Which one? Hey, shut up, you worthless piece of shit. <laughs> that is so Todd. That is Todd's greatest contribution to the film. Him dying, like his like like eyes rolled to the back of the head, stabbed through the mouth is uh, pretty satisfying because they are 
fucking terrible dog owners too. Good riddance with you two. You've got a fucking you have a German Shepherd in a eight by nine cage. You fucking dicks. Yeah, that thing's got to run, man. <laughs> like you gotta you gotta show that thing a lot of attention. He's got to get run out. But, um, yeah, uh, John Connor. Uh, by the way, that that death scene is pretty spectacular. Awesome. Actually, it's funny because this is a very light R. Mm-hmm. Um, this movie it is R rated, but it's very it's a very light R. Um, Linda Hamilton's language, Linda Hamilton's vocabulary, her 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 f bombs are probably the most intense aspect They're of the film. Vicious. Her yeah. her f bombs just it's just her the way she delivers them is why this is rated R. Yes, yeah, so yeah she tear she tears into you like yeah. verbally, um, and then physically, <laughs> but, um, but um, yeah, uh, Todd's death is pretty spectacular. Hard R, yeah. I don't even know if it's a hard R because it's not especially gory, but the image of it is so bizarre it that it's is. like, it's like, damn, this was the highest budgeted movie of its day, and we put that in there. Yeah, that's fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's good. Uh, so, folks at home, if you've never seen this movie, shame on you. Yes. Um, stop, Jeanette stop Goldstein. Listening and go watch it. <laughs> yeah, Jeanette Goldstein plays uh, the foster mother, and Todd plays uh, Xander Berkeley's Todd, and uh, she. Uh, turns her arm into a knife mm-hmm. a giant knife as the t-1000 it, yes as the t-1000 she you know foster mothers they can do that <laughs> but, um, and she puts it through the bottom of a milk carton and through his mouth and through the back of his head and it's it's so weird but it's so awesome it's really good <laughs> um probably the the nastiest uh death in the whole movie like in terms of graphic content is the the twin security guards oh yeah that's good stuff that's that's again fucked up yeah not not especially gory but i defy you to name many images that can match that in terms of like why did he put his finger there (laughs) so again folks at home if you don't know what i'm talking about um the uh the scientists uh the the kind of heavyset guys with the mustaches from gremlins 2 um they're actually twins uh, so they exploited that uh to show like t-1000 assuming a security guard's identity in uh, the mental institution Basically, he uh, puts he turns his index finger into just a metal rod, and he puts it through the space between your nose and your eyeball. Mm-hmm. So not directly in the eyeball, but like right between the nose and the eyeball. Mwah. It's like brilliant. Yeah, it, and then we get this animatronic head like jiggling, <sighs> like yeah, his, he's going cross-eyed and making gurgly noises, and it's like, and we hold on it for a couple seconds. <laughs> I like the uh, the actors that get taken over by the T one thousand. How whenever they break, like when they get out of whatever character he took over, they go back to his just like dead eyed. Like when Janelle comes back, like she she brings her hand back uh, from being a knife. You can tell like oh no, it's the T one thousand. And the same with that security guard. Like he's just he he. Embodied. When he's walking the hallways, his eyes are. The yeah. same as Robert. They they definitely sat down with him and like went over his process because yeah they all they all are consistent and That's it good. works beautifully. Um, but yeah, uh, Edward Furlong. There's not much to say other than I didn't find him annoying. No, I um, think he's totally fine in the movie. And he has a lot of emotional moments in the movie that I feel he actually really sells. Yeah. Um, one of my favorites is it's really subtle, but um, after they freed Sarah Connor, um, she pulls him in like he's in the back seat and she's in the passenger seat and she pulls him in and starts patting him down to check if he's injured mm-hmm. and he his face tells us that he was thinking it's a hug and you just see he's he's utterly just like crestfallen mm-hmm. when when he realizes oh mom 
isn't happy to see me um, because the whole reason he showed up there with his Terminator bodyguard was to free her. Um, little did they know she was planning on freeing herself. Um, it's debatable whether she would have or not because T-1000 was there. Um, he was, and, yes. And he probably would have gotten her. Um, but, yeah, I, I like that bit where he starts crying in the backseat and that's where we get the introduction of <laughs> what's wrong with your eyes? <laughs> nothing <laughs> uh yeah so the i think he's totally fine um i was gonna skip over the whole desert sequence really um do you want to talk about the stunts i mean we've we've talked about performances and we're like 70 minutes into this thing <laughs> uh yeah i mean so much of the movie is just pure stunt work um so i mean and funny enough, I guess that a future sequence, the prologue, where we get to see old John Connor, mm-hmm. uh, battle battle damage John Connor, it's if awesome. you will. Every it's it's awesome. I want that. Like they tried to do Terminator Salvation, which I say of the post T two movies is the best one, but that's not saying much. Um, they tried to do it in that movie, but they it Cameron builds a world. Like he builds like uh, that scene is just it looks dark. And I want that movie. I want to be in that world. I think I prefer contra. the look of the. F- I think I. <laughs> it is contra. It's, contra. <laughs> it's literally contra. It's contra. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I think I prefer the look of the first one because the 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 vision uh, of the future in the first one is about, yeah. it's utterly dismal. Mm-hmm. Like it it looks hopeless. Like it. it I mean, Michael Bean. Uh, Kyle Reese, he does have a, a throwaway line of dialogue there saying that the war was pretty much won um, before uh, the T-800 was sent back in time to try to kill Sarah Connor. Um, but all of his flashback se- or flash forward sequences, um, just the landscape and the sky, it's just so pitch black and there's no buildings in sight. There's no mm-hmm. architecture. It just looks like, yeah, the world's over basically. And when we do get to see where everyone's living, that shelter is nuts like it it's it doesn't look livable <laughs> like it looks like yeah this, this is just everyone hanging by hanging on by threads but second one the color palette of the film is it's a very blue movie blue. yes i like the blue color palette and this is in 1991 so this is before digital coloring too so this was all lighting mm-hmm. um so really calculated production um, i i want to say was adam greenberg uh, shot the film and uh, James Cameron thanked him profusely up if and I, down throughout the commentary. If I can get my work done, I think I'm going to watch Aliens tonight. If I can get good choice, I, good oh. choice. Go from a blue film to a red film. Mm. <laughs> but um, yeah, the the future sequence is it's a, I mean, the whole movie is just like a a medley of like the best special effects money could buy because the the whole prologue is like we have animatronics, we have miniatures, we have we have rear projection kind of shit um, we have pyrotechnics we get a truck flip in there with a dummy on it there's lots of dummies in this movie some of which are meant to be visible and some of which aren't <laughs> all we have now are cg like they're all cgi chases basically like the i was trying to watch the the most recent one i'm like this is on like i can't even watch this this is really stupid the um the sequel i wanted to talk about the just the editing of the uh the chase sequence uh, you can tell where Arnold is actually driving a motorcycle. You can see where it it looks like he's like a ta- like I don't know what it's called, but where they have the motorcycle or car attached, and you still get like that outside shot. There might be a couple of them for him, but I think he's doing a lot of his own motorcycle riding. Um, 
but not like jumping off of stuff. That's not actually him. But Edward <laughs> Furlong, we do get a couple of scenes where I think he's actually driving that dirt bike. Uh, we get a few scenes where it looks like it's attached to something, and they're just like they're just like towing him to do the scene. And we the cutting back from the stuntmen to the actors, like it's it's really really good. Oh yeah, no. What Kyle, the chase scene Kyle's talking about is the from the mall. Basically. Yes. Um, that would be the forty-minute mark that I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Like that's pretty much the converging point of the two Terminators. Dun, dun, and, dun, dun. and we get kind of a uh, there's there's a lot of really neat uh, references to the first film, um, where we get the converging point of all the major players um, at the tech noir in the first Terminator. Oh yes, 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 yes. And this one is at the shopping mall, and we get that really neat moment from john connor's perspective where he sees the terminator fitting the description that his mom probably relayed to him and then there's a cop that's been chasing him and we get those couple of seconds where we the viewer it it's arnold schwarzinger in 1991 so we know that he's the good guy mm-hmm. and and of course the marketing hinted at that but the character doesn't know that and so when that first shot is fired in the hallway there it's awesome because mm-hmm. the character's just like oh fuck i don't know what's going on right now but there's two guys with guns um but yeah uh, apparently he didn't know how to ride a dirt bike um almost every shot of him is him riding with a tow vehicle so he just does the acting and then there is a vehicle towing him (coughs) um (laughs) funny little anecdote Uh, i guess uh when the t-1000 runs into the parking garage and he's trying to start the bike um i guess the first take they did of that um they were telling him like, "Okay, we you gotta go. Like this guy can fucking run. So <laughs> like he's been training for this. Like get ready. We need to pull the bike quick. I guess the first take he caught up. And he, he caught patted, up with him. He he grabbed him on the shoulder. That's fucking awesome. <laughs> That's so fucked. Like as an as a child, like a non actor, that must have been really fucked up. Like it must have been scary. Holy shit! <laughs> Holy shit! That guy's fast. I love that. That that's one of the. Uh, the more intense things is where he's actually trying. It's a gag that's in horror movies and all kinds of movies where you can't get the thing started. But I don't know. You feel it in that moment because you know what he's. Ca- Do you know what he's capable of yet? Uh, that's actually kind of the secret brilliance of the character is that somehow they found a way to continually surprise you um, with his capabilities up until the very end of the movie. Um, because, like I said, the bag of tricks he busts out in the final act of the movie. Um, when he's going hand to hand with with Arnold, mm-hmm. um, there's that amazing morph shot where he throws him against the wall, mm-hmm. and the T1000 instead of turning around just folds himself Parkours inside himself, out. Yeah, yeah, and it's so beautiful, especially his facial expression. Now he's just like completely like, okay, mm-hmm. okay, you you moved me a few feet. It didn't hurt me at all. Well, now, dude. Uh, and then of course uh, when he. Arnold tries to punch him and his hand goes through his head and then he turns his head into his arms and grabs hold of him. It's like he didn't do any of that kind of shit earlier in the movie, but he could have the whole time. It's just they were never that close before. Did you know this could even happen? (laughs) (laughs) What the fuck? (laughs) I didn't know he could do that. (laughs) This is fucking bullshit. (laughs) so what's your favorite? Uh, what's your favorite stunt sequence? Uh, I mean, there's so many in there's this fucking so movie. There's so many. Um, I'm tempted to say the the mall sequence in its entirety, um, because we get do the chase. So, the like the entire sequence from the first shot fired in in the hallway, um, through the parking garage, um, the truck chasing, mm. uh, the I mean, watching that truck go 
into the fucking river. It's fucking awesome, yeah. Because <laughs> again, like we we talked about this in a in a not in a non action film, but uh, under the skin, um, mm. the scene where the people are at the beach in the crashing waves. Um, what makes that intense? What makes you emotionally invested in it is the fact that it's genuinely harrowing. Like, mm. like those people were in actual danger doing that. And again, 1991, we. We just we just started using CGI, um, so all the complicated stunt work that's done here, it, it's really happening in front of you, and it's actually very dangerous. Yes. <laughs> um, in fact, the when the T1000 hijacks the truck, um, the semi that he uses to chase John Connor, um, the guy that he throws out of the cab of the truck, I guess he fell wrong, oh. and like he had to do it twice, I guess. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was saying. That that the that chase sequence, you don't know where the actor stops and the stuntman begins. Because I f- I feel like Arnold's actually doing quite a not a lot, but I think he's doing more driving than you're aware of. No, he did a lot of his own writing. Um, awesome. he again, he was committed to the role. He he showed up to play, and he did quite a bit of it. I mean, there's some really complicated maneuvers that mm-hmm. they absolutely wouldn't let him do, like uh, the, the truck, really yeah. swerving around yeah. the truck as it slams good. into the wall. That was like, whoa, okay. Every time I watch it, I'm like, is he going to fucking make it? <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's like a handful of bad shots in the whole movie. Um, and it's funny hearing James Cameron point out the same ones that I'm like, <laughs> because that just tells me that's like, yeah, I, I, my eyes are educated enough that I can identify shots that even the filmmaker probably wasn't proud of. One of which is a rear projection shot of Arnold picking uh, Edward mm-hmm. Furlong up off the dirt bike and pulling him onto his Harley. Um, and then there's, of course, the, the dummy T-1000 being dragged behind the cop car. Yeah. They hold on it a little too long, and it is a little too immobile. Um, but as James Cameron says on the commentary, in today's environment, they would have just put a CGI stunt double, and he would be climbing up the Fuck car. Yeah, but, you know, the technology of the day that did the best they could. And the movie's still fantastic, <laughs> but... Um, that whole sequence has just such an incredible kineticism to it, and the edits are just like bang, bang, bang. They they knew exactly what pace to cut at, where you get enough information, and the the scene geometry is absolutely beautiful. Um, it's everything is it's so well constructed. Every action scene in the movie, but the that whole mall sequence up through the explosion of the truck is just it's fantastic. Bonk- it's just bonkers how good it is. <laughs> like and like the the choreography just the creativity on display mm-hmm. like i guess they had to modify that particular type of shotgun mm-hmm. uh, it's like i think it's like a model like 1887 or something i guess they made the grip larger so he could do that flip yeah, motion flip easier motion. i guess he almost broke his hand yeah uh, i think he was he, ripping his skin yeah he did he grabbed the wrong one he grabbed the one that wasn't modified and mm-hmm. like he's like ow <laughs> but um him shooting all the gates like yes. shooting the locks off the gates uh, and the sound design of the movie is spectacular. Every gunshot, every explosion <laughs> is so it's so distinct where it's like I can't hear these sounds without thinking of this movie and like just the the pace of like the and the, the pink yeah. when he goes through the gate and just like watching him catch up to the truck and then when he shoots out the tire and it finally crashes. It's it's beautiful. <laughs> um, there's uh, I'm not gonna go too much further on the stunts, but there's just one just one little shot that I really love is during the chase where they're in the shitty little truck and he's chasing with the semi and uh, 
Arnold has, I think, Edward Furlong, like, taking over driving, and he's, like, shooting at the T-1000. He's like, all right, I don't have enough bullets. So he grabs the machine gun, and the stuntman walks out of the out of the cab, under the bed of the truck, onto the semi, and point blank just unloads on the T-1000. And then that same stuntman uh, goes around to the side, like, turns the wheel, and then rides the fucking semi. Yeah, and he, he flips the semi over, and he rides it in. I'm like, that is fucking awesome. It's fucking awesome, and what's really amazing about that is that not only is it a really complex and super dangerous stunt, um, because all those vehicles were going at speed, um, and what makes it especially interesting, though, is that, like, he still gives an acting performance. Like, his posture, his his movements still look like Arnold at a distance. It's fast. Like, he's he's still very upright. He's very... He's very relaxed in how he does it. There's very little sense of urgency, and yet he's doing this terrifying thing. Yeah. It, yeah, it, I, it, I think it's his posture, yeah, because it just it seems mechanical. Like he knows exactly what to do next. It's not like, okay, now what do I do? Like Mad, like Mad Max, uh, Fury Road, or something. Yeah, and what's more, I guess uh, when they they had to flip that truck twice, <laughs> so he had, to, it. Yeah, he had to do that probably God, more than once. Damn, because um, I guess the first time it flipped all the way over. Um, like onto it on on upside down basically there is a kind um, of a comedic element a comedic edit uh, i wanted to touch on after uh sarah goes to shoot dyson which she fucks this thing in the ass like seriously like she unloads like you he moves just one split second and she has a like an automatic rifle that she's shooting at this dude and she completely misses not a great shot um the uh after she shoots him and then like John and the T-800 come in and, like, calm her down, and she and John have, like, this breakdown moment, and it's just really emotional, and I, it kind of sucks, but they, they have it. And then immediately, Civil War field doctor, uh, he's like, you need to apply pressure. <laughs> like, this guy is in agony while you two are having a moment. Well, I think he uses the phrase, who are you people? (laughs) Because, I mean, really, you have a giant Austrian man in full biker gear, you have a kid in a camo jacket... Um, that's kind of a piss ant, and then you have a crazed woman in a tank top with an arsenal. It's like, what do you people want? Who dressed are like you? a professional sniper? Yeah. Yes, complete with ball cap. <laughs> yeah, why do you need the ball cap? You're shooting at night, lady. <laughs> I guess maybe to keep the wind. I don't know. She's shooting at night. Uh, was there? Oh, go ahead. W- one more stunt I really need to spotlight: uh, the helicopter stuff. Mm. Yes. Mm. They go under mm-hmm. the overpass. <laughs> Under, let me refer, let me say overpass. again <laughs> under an overpass the balls to like or like to me- like are you sure are you sure that we have the right measurement are you sure yeah i'm no, sure I, I, their names escape me but my my dad actually is aware of these guys my my dad had a spell in his life where he was like into helicopters and shit he he's lived an interesting life um anyway there's two brothers that are at this stage in like Hollywood history, they they were the helicopter guys. Um, like every James Bond helicopter stunt you've ever seen, basically they had a hand in. Um, and yeah, I guess the guy just said, "Yeah, I can do that." <laughs> and he fucking did it. <laughs> and he's actually in the film. Uh, he he acts in the film uh, as uh, when the T one thousand gets in the helicopter and says, That's "Get him. out." That's him. Uh, he doesn't That's jump out of the helicopter. <laughs> That's a goddamn minigun. <laughs> yeah, that was him. <laughs> he falls ass out of there. <laughs> I love that, though, because he's just so incredulous. He just nods and, and opens the door. 
I would whoops. Too. Like, whoops. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I would get the fuck out of there too. Um, that end sequence, I, I have a few problems with the police in that uh, that sequence. You, uh, in retrospect, yeah. <laughs> the fucking okay. So when they tie up the security guard and the guy's like, "You can't leave the desk like that," and he comes in and he sees him tied up, he's like, "Oh shit!" It's <laughs> 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 fucking perfect. Yeah, like, it's great. But he calls he calls the cops and he tells them like, "It's the woman from it's it's the woman who escaped and the guy from there." And they I think they told him it's a kid. They tell him that there's a kid. So these cops are just going into this place and they're firing at this building. I'm like, there's a child running around in there. Can they do that? Yeah, uh, no. I don't think they're allowed to do that. <laughs> no, but it was it was L.A. in the 90s. Well, <laughs> that was to my second point was where uh, they know it's Dyson, the guy that works there, and I'm sure they have a description of him. So when they open the door and he just has something in his hand, this, I mean, we won't get into that. But yeah, they just unload on him. And as a kid, I, I kind of had a problem with it even as a child. I'm like, why did they just start shooting at him? Quick, it's a black guy with a walkie-talkie. Yes, I mean, there is. <laughs> so it's not funny, but yes. I mean, that's, that's I what that's the, the detonator looks like. Yeah, It's got an antenna and everything. I think that's probably the only reason why they responded so quickly. It's like, yeah, there's some people who broke into this place. That one no, I'll, I'll defend the movie a little bit. Um, and it has to do with sequencing. Uh, so the Cyberdyne sequence, um, like I said, as soon as we get there, it's nothing but action. Like, dialogue goes out the window, characterization. We've already got all the characterization. The rest of the movie is just action, and it's good action. But um, what's really fascinating about how we get there, though, is that uh, when we're in Mexico, um, the movie takes a breather, like we said, but it's interesting to note that um, they they could have won a little bit like they could have just hidden. Yeah. Uh, they could have remained hidden because the T1000 had no way of finding them and judgment day would have happened, but you know, it's conceivable they could have survived it. But the whole conclusion of the movie, the way we get our mega happy ending with a little bit of sadness is that we in this movie, unlike this many many sequels, uh, we prevent judgment day. Um but her going after Dyson is the catalyst for like resuming the action and kind of like creating the possibility of actually preventing Judgment Day. But anyway, um, the sequencing that I'm talking about with the Cyberdyne thing is that they, they break in there, they tie up the security guy, um, and then his buddy, who apparently was uh, Edward Furlong's acting coach, oh. um, <laughs> he, uh, he triggers the silent alarm and he calls the cops. Um, when all the cops show up, they just like form a perimeter and point their guns at the building. Yeah. It's not until Arnold sprays the minigun at them and the grenade launcher that the SWAT team arrives. Um, so when the SWAT team comes in, it's kind of like all bets are off. We just had military ordnance thrown at us. So yeah, yeah, at that, that point, it's like, whatever. I know it was in response to the minigun, but I'm like, yeah. uh, I don't know. It, it seems like, yeah, but there's also a kid. Yeah. Yeah. Y- y- you would, you would hope, yeah. but you know, <laughs> it is what it is. And I, when the SWAT team arrives, like I, I don't know what it is about the framing of them, but y- you really hate them. <laughs> like, I think it's the gas masks. Because like, yeah. anybody who has a full head of hair wearing a gas mask with that particular type of fastening with no helmet, you look like a fucking clown. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, and yeah, and, and they're all like shouting orders through the mask. It's like, get out, get out. Isn't that Dean? I know who you're talking about. Yeah, I can't think of his name. I think that's him. 
from uh, uh, Breaking Bad. Yeah, the Breaking Bad guy. Um, yeah, I think. What do you think is the best death in this film? Like, who who does the best death? Because I'm gonna say it's Dice. I can't remember the actor's name. I'm sorry. Joe Morton. Joe Morton. Joe Morton. Joe Morton has one of the best deaths in cinema history. It is. Um, he sells it um, so well. Uh, so Joe Morton plays Miles Dyson, who is going to in- inadvertently give birth to Skynet, um, which is why Sarah Connor targets him. Because uh, unbeknownst to her, uh, Cyberdyne acquired the severed arm of the T-800 from the 1984 film, as well as a broken uh, computer chip from its head, uh, which he's been like reverse engineering. And in the extended cut of the film, we get shots of him at home with his family, and he's like on the verge of the breakthrough. So it like lends things a sense of urgency where it's like it's gonna happen tomorrow if we don't kill him now. It's, I I prefer the way it is in the yeah. theatrical version. There's so many awesome cuts in the theatrical version where we get reference to a new character and then we meet them. Mm-hmm. We're like when uh Budnick, when Bobby Budnick oh, yeah. and and John Connor steal money from the ATM. Uh, Budnick asks about his mom. Next scene, let's meet mom. <laughs> it's like, and then same with Dyson. It's like I think the word Cyberdyne or the Terminator bring, is brought up at the mental institution. Boom, we go to Cyberdyne. We, get, we go to Cyberdyne, and we see that they have the arm and stuff. But yeah, Joe Morton, um, he's in very little of the film, uh, but he makes an impact. I, re- I really like how well he sells the weightiness of like his responsibility. Like he he gets shot by Sarah Connor. Yeah. Thank you. I was gonna say the same. I, I wanted to bring it up. I'm like, he just got shot point blank and, by this and he's woman, a, and he's apologizing to her. <laughs> and they really. I mean, I guess seeing a Terminator, like really the gravity of seeing, like, oh shit, this is real. I guess that's I, an awesome moment, by yeah. the way. Oh yeah, <laughs> because I mean, expedience is really important at that point because they're like the whole problem with them coming back to L.A. is that the T1000 is there and they're on the radar now, so. They need to watch out. Um, so they need to explain to him quickly. They need to get him to understand very quickly what the stakes are and what a Terminator is. So they just have Arnold peel the skin off his arm. One of my favorite scenes as a kid because it's it's like it's fucking graphic. It's graphic, but it's not graphic. It's 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 a really strange scene. Yeah, it's it's not excessively gory. It is graphic though, and the music really aids it but mm-hmm. more than that uh joe morton's wife um i don't know she's the actress. excellent yes she's like making all sorts of noises that say that sounds like a terrified woman <laughs> she is yeah she is in a, a uh she's excellent she only has these couple of scenes but uh whenever she shoots joe morton and she's like get on the floor like she's like shaking and pan like and panicking yeah well, they, and it's really neat seeing uh it's like a little bit of a theme uh like family is a big theme in this movie more so than the first one Um, because the first one's kind of a love story in some ways Um, it really is like a huge like uh, emotional focal point for the story is when they bang (laughs) 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 but um, in in this one though it's really neat seeing uh, Dyson's family because he's on the he's on the floor and he's like resting his head on the the coffee table or whatever as she's pointing the gun down at him and she's having her emotional freak out but in the meantime his son is like trying to shield him mm-hmm. and the mother like lays on top of the son and pulls him away from the father and it it's kind of like a a play on the relationship she has with John where it's like no matter what the son is the most important thing yeah um it's kind of interesting cuz she is always talking about him being the most important thing but she's so incredibly distant from him 
Um, so it creates this really interesting dynamic between the two characters. But back to Joe Morton's death. Um, as soon as the SWATs kick down the door, they don't they don't blink. They just open fire. Boom, boom, and, boom, boom. Yeah. And holy shit, he sells these squibs so well. Yeah. It's in slow motion, and I want to say they shot it in slow motion because there's they're like this guy Joe. You put some squibs on him, he's gonna put on a fucking show, man. Because <laughs> like, he's just ragdolling all over the place. He's, he he makes it look he makes it look like it hurt. He, he, he might have one of the greatest deaths in cinema history, but he's also associated with one of my favorite deaths in a movie is uh, Idris Elba's death in American Gangster, which have you seen yet? Yes. Okay. I yeah, I've, I love that moment with him and Denzel Washington <laughs> Street. Just point blank. It's pretty badass. Um, the By the way, S. Apatha, uh, S. Apatha, I forgot the last name already. God damn it. Oh, his wife in the movie? Yeah, Esapatha Murkerson. Murkerson. Yes, there we go. That's I don't know what else she's done, but Law she and Order. Oh, 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 oh Law okay. and Order. <laughs> I could see that. I could totally yes. see that. Um, but yeah, his death. The <gasps> yeah, <gasps> it's it's the only one of its kind I know of, and he it's utterly unique, and it feels very true to life. Actually, before he starts hyperventilating. Um, when he makes eye contact with Sarah Connor when the SWATs are shooting at them, mm-hmm. and he's like jittery because all the bullets are going around him, and he's just drenched in sweat. Mm-hmm. Um, fantastic acting. Yeah. Um, and Joe Morton, it needs to be said, uh, to this day, one of one of his quotes from a Speed, I still use all the time, and it's always it always gets a furrowed brow from people because the phrasing is so fucked. But <laughs> don't get dead, <laughs> Jack. Don't get dead. <laughs> you say speed? Yes. I feel like I need to watch that. You do. You absolutely do. Uh, speed is is the is like one of my secret favorite movies. Oh, that could be where, a fun month. Where secret it's like favorite movies. Even I forget from time to time how many fucking times I've seen Speed. Mm. Like my brother, like when it comes up in conversation, he shoots me a look like <laughs> motherfucker. Like you put that movie on so fucking often like <laughs> i think that hook might be one of my secret favorite movies where it's like i forget that how much i love it but then it'll pop in my head and i'm like god damn it i really love that movie do you remember your mother but <laughs> <laughs> but no the fucking, kid is so creepy <laughs> i love the waking up of the lost boys the fucking that treat that as a kid i'm like oh that looks awesome i want to live in that i remember having complicated feelings about julia roberts in that movie mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. it's complicated mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah joe morton spectacular death and followed by a tremendous explosion uh, cyberdyne goes up and then we get like I th- like right around there we get one of the most awesome scenes where it's it's just it's hilarious but it's also awesome is when uh arnold shoots all the spots yes. in the clay <laughs> <laughs> all knee, all knee shots in this movie are funny. The 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 cop who gets at the visiting hours are are uh, nine thirty to five it- Monday through bam bam. <laughs> <laughs> And then followed up with you son of a bitch, you shot me. I love it. He'll live. Um, yeah. Well, yeah. I swear he, I will not kill anyone. We just have knee cam almost through this whole this whole thing. It's just bam bam. There's one dude that gets it. I'm like, oh, he's not. That that leg's gone. Sorry, Steve. That leg's going to have to come off. <laughs> oh, it's pretty juicy. Yeah. Um, but I just love how casual he just walks into them, and they're, like, mm. shooting tear gas at him, and he, you know, he's a Terminator. He doesn't the, care. The last two dudes 
that he gets, and I think he hits them with the uh, the, the, the plunks, yeah. <laughs> um, dude, you just watch these guys unload their automatic weapons or semi-automatic weapons into this guy, and he's not moving. Okay, and he's just shot all of your buddies in the knee, and these two guys are loading pistols like that's gonna do anything. Run. Yeah, yeah. Um, the some of the effects work in that sequence is really awesome um, because it's it's a it's animatronic. Um, so whenever they're showing mm-hmm. bullet hits on Arnold's head and his upper torso, it's a Stan Winston animatronic bust that it's so seamlessly inter- integrated with the f- live footage of Arnold that you. Um, it's noticeable. I'm, it's l- it's less noticeable than Terminator. <laughs> ooh, yeah. The, some of the endoskeleton shots at the end of Terminator are pretty rough. You Although, can see you can see the broom handle they're using yeah. to turn that. Thing. I'm talking about the eye, like the where he's taking his eye out in the in the uh, hotel room. Well, what's weird is he he does. There's this one shot where he's like pitched for it, kind of like yeah. <laughs> at a weird angle, where it's like, uh, that that's a little awkward. Like I don't want to know what his lower half is doing, and it's like, are you gonna like juggernaut charge through them or something but i'm never gonna this the sequence where he's getting shot and walking and it kind of cuts back to the dummy um i'm totally the animatronic i'm totally fine with that i i prefer that to cgi i'd rather see oh that's kind of silly but at least they tried well i'm always of the mind that cgi cgi is a tool yeah like it just like any other um it has very wonderful applications but there's certain instances where it just isn't the right move Mm -hmm. um and yeah, this this movie is an excellent example of doing it right. Where it's like the CGI was so prohibitively expensive and technical that they couldn't use it for everything, so they had to use the old ways. Um, and every effect in the movie, except for you know like a dummy being dragged behind a car, <laughs> is pretty expertly done. Don't worry, we're gonna get a full blown CGI movie from uh, James Cameron in, uh, in a few years, so. Yeah, I'm I'm surprised he hasn't just done a straight up animated movie. Like like honestly, he's so enamored with the technical aspect of things. It's like just do just it all do on it. the computer. Like yeah. do we need a shitty actor like Sam Worthington? I, still I don't have think no so. No idea what happens in that movie. In Av- Abada? I fell asleep. <laughs> I fell asleep like as soon as he got in. I watched it in IMAX. I I went right out uh watching that movie. Yeah, uh, it's unfortunately that kind of movie. Uh, that's I want to say actually the secret to its success though is that it's very boilerplate in some ways mm. which makes it more approachable um but you know at the time visually spectacular but really really simple in a lot of ways in terms of like storytelling and characterization um but obviously it worked for you know a few billion people or whatever yeah. <laughs> um, um, i don't know if i have much else to say at this point i mean co- s- somehow we didn't talk about the biker bar Oh, I one of my first <laughs> notes on here is this is a top-notch white trash bar. Uh, I actually have this Dwight Yoakam song on my uh, on my one of my playlists. The, guitars, uh, Cadillacs, Cadillacs. Um, yeah. So you sent me a picture of Arnold on the set, and he's got like these wacky swim trunks on. And uh, I'm like, I like to imagine, like, no, no, no. I I'd like to think that he was really naked <laughs> during the scene. <laughs> Somehow it's important. But yeah, the uh, the guy, the guy that he ends up uh, throwing onto the the oven, he does an excellent job in this movie. Yeah, uh, funny note about him. I don't know his name, but uh, on the commentary, James Cameron said that guy's a musician and he's a personal friend of his. Oh. And and it was just decided that he had the right look and the he, right presence. It looks like Wangro mixed with. Uh, What's his name? Uh, Buffalo Bill. I can never remember his name. 
Oh, Ted Levine. Yeah, think. Ted Levine. Yeah, he. You're spot on. I, I agree wholeheartedly. Ted Wayne Grove certainly. Um, but yeah, he he fits the role perfectly. Um, and <laughs> and yeah, that song is forever burned in my memory. Um, that that's how you can tell you have like a strong emotional connection to a movie, is if like just certain sounds like bring weird sense memories to to mind. Like if I hear the first chords of Bad to the Bone, mm-hmm. I think T two. If I hear guitars, Cadillacs. If I hear the word guitar or Cadillac, I think of Terminator 2. <laughs> if, I, if I hear Guns and Roses, doesn't matter if it's... <laughs> oh, I forgot. Eddie Van Halen passed away. Oh, I'm sure you knew that. I didn't. Yes, he passed away. Oh. I was actually thinking about him because I know that he, he's been a heavy smoker since he was like a teenager. And I'm like, he's probably going to die soon is what I was thinking. And he actually did just die of throat cancer. Was he still playing uh, yeah. before he passed? Yeah. Oh. His son was uh, was playing. I don't know if his son played bass or he played guitar with him. But, yeah, that's that's sad. Eddie Van See, Hans that makes gone. me curious about Top Gun 2. Like, if if maybe maybe they brought him into the recording booth to redo the anthem? Maybe. Maybe. I w- if it was my movie, I would do that. Um, because that anthem is that movie in a lot of ways. <laughs> I forgot how much I like Van Halen. After I I started going through like old music videos and old performances, I'm like God damn it, that first album is awesome. Van Halen's pretty awesome. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's a funny note about that that uh, Guns N' Roses song uh, that Budnick is blasting on his mm-hmm. cassette boombox well, on the I, back of the dirt there's bike. There's no fucking way you'd hear that thing on a dirt bike. Yeah, no shit. But the thing that's <laughs> funny about it is that they're they they have a whole baby's day out. Like mm-hmm. they, they <laughs> <laughs> like like they they go all over town, they steal, they go to the the Galleria, the Galleria? <laughs> <laughs> to play some arcade games, and yet every shot we cut back to them on the dirt bike, it's the same song. <laughs> That's one of my favorite line deliveries in a movie. The Galleria? <laughs> the Galleria? <laughs> I, I think I I think when we, I was still at the get to know you phase with you, I, I think I threw that at you, like, <laughs> and you reacted gallery. favorably to yes, it. Like, the excellent. Galleria. The Galleria. <laughs> uh, I think that was a uh, Nikki Cox, by the way. Who's Nikki Cox? Redhead, kind of hot in the '90s, um, but she was a she was pretty young. I think she was a kid um, in this movie. I could be totally wrong, but she, she had the chipmunk cheeks. I want to say it was her, um, but. Anyway, uh, yeah, the 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 sense memories associated with like the soundtrack for this movie are strong, but the 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 biker bar sequence is incredible. Mm-hmm. Like, because I, I like that we um we forego showing the uh, it's uh, James Cameron calls it the the chrono port. Um, that's the little bubble that uh the time travelers arrive in. Yes, um, we forego showing it on screen in the first film. Um, and in the second one, though, we get to see it on screen. It's it's just a simple black bubble with electrical sparks and stuff. But I love the uh, the uh, like molten effect that they put into the the truck and the and the ground underneath Arnold because mm-hmm. um, it's like perfectly carved out of the truck, where it's like everything that was occupying space where the bubble emerges is just disintegrated, just removed from space. Um, but yeah, the the choreography of that sequence is awesome. <laughs> I mean, we get him coming in, we get uh, shots from his perspective where we get the the Terminator vision where everything's red, and we it's really neat because we get to see like his thought process, how he's like sizing everybody up, and how he how his machine brain thinks, and his learning computer. 
Um, I like that the one waitress looks him up and down. <laughs> with a, yeah, yeah, with a little bit of a gasp yeah. and a smile. <laughs> I like how um, this is something that happens in the movie is that the extras finish their like finish the scene. So like she gives him like the up down, and then she turns around to talk to the bartender, and it's very subtle. But I appreciate that where they they're continuing with what they're supposed to be doing. Yeah, no, that that's a sign of a well conducted set. Mm-hmm. Um, and regardless of what you have to say about James Cameron now as a film director, um, it, it Avatar and Beyond, basically, of, of which he's had no additional output. Um, the man, the man can direct a film. <laughs> I still really like Titanic. I'll, I'll admit it. Like, Titanic I, is incredible. I still really Ti- like watching that movie. Titanic is utterly watchable and it is three hours long. Yeah, you like, don't have like, to- you don't have to like the romantic aspect of it. Like you can just enjoy watching that movie. It's engrossing. Like it really it's is. it's on a technical level, it is a well put together film. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I, I like too that after all the uh, all the violence happened, pull it out, pull it yeah. out. <laughs> um, there's the guy with the shittiest hair you've ever seen, like brandishing a pool cue, mm-hmm. and his his lady's like pulling him towards the door. And the camera doesn't linger on them, but just, like, this one little detail, like you said, of the extras, like, following through with the action. He looks like Brad Paisley in a wig, if you've, <laughs> if you've ever seen Brad Paisley. It's a bad wig. It's, like, yeah. pulled off to the side, and he's got a scruffy salt-and-pepper beard. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. There's not a handsome person in that bar. No, <laughs> right? no. Like, ruddy complexion is the order of the day. That's the kind of Although bar... Although, the guy, the guy that uh, hits him with the pool cue from behind looks like he should have been WCW. That's like. the guy I'm talking about. Sorry, that's the guy. He looks like okay. Brad Paisley with a wig on. Yeah, no, that that's the guy that actually hits him, yeah. Um. So, I've walked into bars before... And I've like I've I haven't walked into one this severe, but I've definitely walked into a bar and then had people sitting at the bar look back at me, and I'm like, oh, we're gonna try someplace else. I don't think this is our bar. This is a walk in and run the fuck out kind of bar. <laughs> <laughs> um, what was it? Uh, that's a guy. That's a guy you can hit. <laughs> that's not a guy you can hit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the that, Departed. Yeah, the Departed bar. Like you just walk in and you're like, eh, I don't think this yeah. is ours. Yeah, that, that guy right there, that's not a guy you can hit. <laughs> if you see a dude that's sitting at a table, and he's well-dressed, and then you see two guys with leather jackets on sitting right next to each other, and they're pretty big, and they're literally sitting next to each other on at the at the bar stools. It's not it's not a bar for you. That's not no, that's not no. your bar. No. Leave. That, and, yeah, and, and if somebody comes in and tells you to leave, you probably should just leave. <laughs> <laughs> if there's no sports on, you don't need to be there. <laughs> You don't need to go in there. There's no mm. funny shit on the walls. Just, go ahead and leave. Um, but yeah, I think that's all I had to say about that. I mean, of course, there's always going to be more to say. But mm. yeah, I, I think I think we've Chris Farley'd enough about Terminator 2. I think we did. Um, um, but before we wrap up, uh, you know, 100 episodes, man. Mm. Like, that's that's something worth acknowledging. So, like, I don't know. Where, where are you at with the show? Like, how are you feeling about it these days? <laughs> Well, I'm uh, I'm about to write off anime. I think I'm done with August. Uh, okay, anime <laughs> August out the window. Uh, yeah, I think I, I think I'm good good on that. Uh, I'm excited to finally get you to watch a little bit of Art House, just a little, just a tiny taste. Um, and I think that the the best way to go about that is to have you uh, view some Lars von Trier. But moving forward, I'm not sure. I kind of want to get. Uh, I kind of want to keep watching movies that we haven't seen um try to try to get like the mutual catching up because i think that's a fun way to come at it is 
one you and I have not seen, really not something that we typically watch. I think that's kind of fun to talk about. Okay. So really, really branch out, um, maybe do some more contemporary stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, especially with COVID and stuff, we don't have to worry about going out to the theater. So I'm not, not going to ask. Story. <laughs> I, you know, I would totally watch it, but I wouldn't do it for this show. Um, I would watch it though, but not. I don't want to talk at length about it. <laughs> I don't want to get into that. I think we can pretty much just keep like uh, like dramas like that just off the table because nobody wants to listen to us talk about that. Yeah, you know we're you know thirty something men that you know I seriously doubt we'd have anything unique to add to the conversation. Um, but yeah, I, I think it would be fun to branch out. Like I've said before, you can serve me up literally anything and i'll i'll find a way to enjoy it um so if you want to get if you want to get nuts let's get nuts (laughs) i do want to get back i do want to get into some sillier 80s stuff like some sillier 80s action van damme i've i have almost zero van damme experience i have little to no stallone experience and i have a wee bit of steven seagal uh experience but i would like to i'd like to to dive into those filmographies a little bit well, maybe we can devote a month to 80s action something or other. Mm-hmm. Some, like, act, act, act August or something. <laughs> action August, maybe, instead yeah. of anime August. Because, yeah, yeah that, that's, that's well-trodden ground for me. But if you haven't seen any Van Damme or Stallone, yeah, we got we to gotta get you up to speed I on don't that. I honestly think I've seen a Stallone vehicle, like a, a Stallone movie front to, like, beginning to end. Well, that's that's gonna have to happen, um, especially since uh, uh, Rambo is in Mortal Kombat 11 as of a few days ago. Somebody uh, somebody posted a meme. I forgot what it was. It was like they're about to announce the new Mortal Kombat character, and they're like, "Please don't be this. Please don't be this." I can't remember what it was. I don't think it was Rambo. It was something else. Silly. Well, I mean, Super Smash Brothers is getting nuts. They just added Minecraft Steve, um, the player character from Minecraft. <laughs> Um, okay. For you and I, that means nothing. For an entire generation behind us, that is that's like holy shit. <laughs> that's like Hulk Hogan returning in the year two thousand. Holy shit. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, just I can I can pick a month. We can do some action. I know we were talking about uh, Blade today. Um, so I was talking before we started recording. We should. Blade should not be forgotten because Blade is always good. There's always a good time for Blade. Um, and maybe we can just do the whole franchise, warts and all, because mm-hmm. Trinity is not good, but I think you said you hadn't seen it. I've seen pieces of it. I haven't seen it all the way through. It's uh, it's not good. Yeah, that's um, what I've heard. But, it, but at the very least, I get to watch Ryan Reynolds uh, inexplicably defeat Triple H in single combat. Um, and then Prison Break, um, I, I like to call, uh, was Dominic someone or other? Um, I know you're talking about, yeah, Prison Break um, guy. Uh, Purcell. Dominic Purcell is his name. Um, I like to just call him Prison Break. <laughs> it's like Prison Break as Count Dracula. <laughs> it's a Prison Break versus Wesley Snipes. Um, yeah, he's not good uh, in any sense. But, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll check that out at some point. Also, it's interesting because it's uh, David S. Goyer uh, who wrote Blade and directed Blade Trinity. Um, so that would be the guy who co-wrote the dark knight is that the end of watch dude no that's of... david ayer oh that's david ayer god no 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 
I wouldn't I wouldn't make you do that. No, <laughs> no David Ayer. Yeah. Um <laughs> Yeah, Kyle, next up, Suicide Squad. <laughs> I mean, I do I do think we should probably do a month where we're like, well, that was fucking stupid. Uh, and End of Watch is definitely one of those. Well, I mean, I don't know if I would do it for the show. I certainly wouldn't ask you to rewatch it, but I do need to see Birds of Prey just because of yeah. how much shit you had to say about it. It's not shit, it's just it just it, it was very disappointing. Very, I need to know why though. <laughs> on screen titles. Oh. And oh, and active oh. narration. Oh. Funny enough. Uh, funny enough. Uh, Terminator 2 does have some narration. It does. It really and does. And yet and yet it doesn't detract from it. It's it's only here and there. Yeah, it's only here and there. It opens the film, it happens in the middle, and then it happens at the end. And that's it. Um, it's all from Linda Hamilton and uh, apparently the the closing shots of the film like the extended edition has a flash forward um, to her as like uh, old woman in a- old age makeup mm. and it's the same playground that she saw in her her nuclear blast dream and then we see the same actor without the battle damage as John Connor like playing with his kids um, so it's like supposed to be like we made it like the future's not set <laughs> cut it out <laughs> yes that's what i said because the last shot of the movie is officially you know just a it's a road it's like a highway with street lamps over it perfect <laughs> and yeah it's perfect and funny too because it's a recycled shot they used it earlier in the movie yeah <laughs> but it's, it it works it's just fine yeah cut it out to, cut to it use out. your <laughs> to use your words oh uh, those are uncle joey's words uh full house <laughs> oh, i never watched full house i did a little bit it's fine no, it was one of those shows that everybody else in my age range was really into, but our family, mm-mm. We didn't do wholesome in our household. <laughs> it, it was just kind of on after school sometimes, so occasionally I'd watch it, but it wasn't my favorite. Yeah, yeah, yeah we didn't do that. <laughs> we didn't do that in our house. <laughs> it was a lot of Seinfeld, so the soulless New Yorkers. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, Seinfeld was much more popular. Seinfeld and Friends were usually the reruns and the, and the primetime stuff. Gotcha. Well, yeah, 100 episodes and over 10,000 listens. Yes. Thank you, listeners. Yeah, we've we've had a good run so far, so here's to 100 more. Um, but yeah, that being said, uh, new content every week, if not twice a week. Uh, so... Uh, if you want to look up some of our previous episodes, uh, feel free to pull up our website at uh, catchinguponcinema.com. You can find all of our episodes collected there. Um, and if you want to reach out to us on the social medias, we do have a Twitter, at Catching Cinema, as well as an Instagram, at Catching Up on Cinema. So uh, feel free to like, share, subscribe, all that bullshit. Um, but yeah, that being said, uh, thank you so much for listening, um, all these 100 plus episodes, and uh, we'll catch you next time. Yep, stay tuned for Antichrist. Antichrist.